My name is Michael Campbell. Welcome to Money Talks. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. Solera Club is a tech-based investment, but here's the key, that it's royalty-based, meaning you get paid first and there are no fees attached to it. So for more information, go to soleraclub.com. I'm going to preface my opening remarks tonight, uh, today rather, on the refugee debate with a quote by a purebred member of the Liberal Party. I mention that because I just find too often uh, people are dismissed. You say, well, he's a member of some other party who's got a different view. No, this is a purebred member of the Liberal Party. I'm referring to the statement made by former Liberal Cabinet Minister Pierre Elliott. Uh, well, he was under Pierre Elliott Trudeau and then under Jean Chrétien. Uh, his name is Tom Axworth. You might remember him, Pierre Trudeau, and under John Christian, he was a cabinet minister. In quotes, liberalism's dirty secret is that government doesn't seem to work well much of the time. If you consider yourself center-left on the political state, uh, spectrum, rather, I challenge you to ask yourself why a prominent member and staunch Liberal Party member, cabinet minister under two prime minister, reached that conclusion that liberalism's dirty secret is that government doesn't seem to work well much of the time. Now, I think he's right. And I'm going to talk about one of the principal reasons, the infatuation of the progressive left with symbolism. I mentioned that last week with regard to what environmentalists called the symbolic rejection of the Keystone XL pipeline. This illustrates one of the great philosophical divides, not only in Canada, but in the whole Western democracies. I mean, on the one hand, we have people satisfied with symbolism, gestures, all talk, no action approaches to our main issues. While on the other side, you have people like myself who want specific practical solutions that are going to be subject to critical appraisal, historical evidence, and research. But these are irreconcilable differences. They're not even speaking the same language here. The big talk crowd has no idea what someone like myself is on about when I criticize climate change advocates for using cars, jets, private jets for most prominent, owning multiple houses, buying petroleum-based products, making millions in a petroleum-based economy. No, they don't get my criticism. They just get angry and vitriolic. They just can't understand why people like me don't get how important they are. Now back to Axworthy. We've been trying the all-talk, no-action approach for decades to issues like homelessness, poverty, now income inequality, and the failure is blatant. The U.S. war on poverty began 50 years ago. And what is there to show for it? Nothing more than more people permanently unemployed, the degradation of the inner cities in places like Detroit and Baltimore, toxic race relations, the highest rates of unemployment among black youth. You think it would be time to try something a little bit different? But no, it's the same empty discussions leading nowhere, very much like what Canada, we've done on poverty on many native reserves. We've done it for a generation, despite hundreds of billions being spent. But I'm told it's about symbolism which in the majority of cases is really about posing, talking, protesting, chanting. Those are the easy parts. Coming up with practical policies that can stand critical evaluation is the tough part, especially when so many powerful groups benefit from the status quo. I mean, think about this. How is it possible to spend over $100 billion in the Department of Native Affairs in the last decades and still not have adequate housing, clear water on some Native reserves? It happens because we'd rather talk about it than actually do something. So, the refugee debate. The Liberal promised to let 25,000 Syrian refugees in by January 1st. Well, I simply don't believe the federal government is competent to vet legitimate claimants, house them, feed them, provide medical services, language training, and other assimilation services in a six-week period. And if the feds are, 
If I'm wrong and they are competent, then where the hell has that competence been with regard to thousands of people living on native reserves? We can't afford to give way to the sort of happy talk of aren't we caring and good people for taking them in without proper services available. The Europeans have already shown us how tragic the consequences of failing to adequately prepare are. They're talking about more than doubling the number of refugees allowed into Canada. And they have five weeks left to do it. But to me, it wouldn't matter if it was five weeks or five months or five years. What's the plan? I'm not going to sign on to something without knowing the details. We have a huge opportunity to benefit this country. But done wrong, it's going to create a backlash against innocent refugees. And if you don't agree, again, I urge you to look at the reaction in Germany. It's a disaster. The refugee problem could topple the Merkel government, and the financial implications are going to be huge for Europe and the currencies around the world, including the Canadian dollar. See, what's clear is that Mr. Trudeau didn't have a plan when he plucked the number 25,000 and the timeline January 1st absolutely out of thin air during the election campaign. So now they're scrambling. We're promised a plan this coming week. But what we've been told is the cost is already about three times more than what was mentioned during the campaign. Now, I appreciate that Prime Minister Trudeau thinks that this is the right thing to do, and I suspect a majority of Canadians agree, but that's not good enough. The criticism shouldn't be leveled at those people who are uncomfortable. It's to a government who hasn't presented a plan so we can sign on to it. The track record ain't great at the federal level, as I say, alluding already to the Native Reserves. The refugees and everyone who already lives in Canada deserves far better. We simply can't afford one more of Lloyd Axworthy's Dirty Little Secrets. Money Talks is brought to you by Solera Club. For more information, go to soleraclub.com. Taking a break, coming back, Michael Levy. Top three things that smart people are talking about. we got Mark Leibovit with us today. He has uh, been Timer's Digest, Timer of the Year, Gold Market Timer of the Year, Bond Market Timer of the Year. Uh, had an interesting week in the markets. Uh, I'm going to be interested to hear what he's got to say about the timing. Also, I've got a new big fat idea. Really looking forward to this. This is something very different. A lot of people getting stuck, well, millions of people getting stuck with this low-yield environment where they need the income. They wanted more growth. Well, I've got an idea, a big fat idea coming up in just a couple of minutes that I'm saying it's one, it's a different direction, one I think you might be interested in. Joining me on the line right now, I've got Michael Levy. We've got our top three stories, but we're starting with a bonus story because there's so much happening in the markets today. Michael, uh, let's start with our bonus story. It's like sort of four for the price of three this morning, Mike. But the big headline that caught my eye, one of the big headlines, was tech resources cut a thousand jobs, and you can put in brackets a thousand more jobs, lowers dividend, and uh, it's just so indicative, Mike, of what's going on. Not in the energy sector per se, in the resource sector. Yeah, that's a, that's a distinction we have made all the way along that I really thought that was a, a part of the game that was missed. I mean, you look at the crash in natural gas prices, copper prices, aluminum. The list is just so big, uh, you know, potash, all of these things. I mean, since 2011, we got the base metal index down to a record there. Uh, you know, the average base metal stock, I think, is off 62%, Mike, from their highs. And as you just alluded to, you know, gold. I mean, I think we chronicle that on a regular basis on this show, silver prices. Yeah, it's been an entire resource sector problem. It has, Mike. And with that, tech, who are BC-based, so far in the past 18 months, 
have cut approximately 2,000 positions. And for those who want to live on dividends and have tech shares, they've cut their dividend to $0.05 cents a share. Mike, that was from $0.15 cents and from $0.45 cents a share about, oh, I guess about eight or nine months ago. So from $0.45 cents to $0.05 cents a share. And as I said, it's just not the energy sector that's impacting. It is the whole resource sector. And that leads me to part, part two, is that is leading to a federal government deficit, never mind surplus, but deficit, budget mm-hmm. deficit going into the next two or three years. Well, that was the big story we got yesterday. I'm not so sure how big a story it should have been in this regard, because, again, it's been politicized. Oh, good, our deficits are going up. But we had the Parliamentary Budget Office come out, what, I think it was two weeks ago, uh, you know, giving their scenario, which was for lower growth. We had the Bank of Canada do that in September. We've had major financial institutions doing it. The bottom line is we, as you've just alluded to, Mike, consistently underestimated the impact of the decline in oil, and, I mean, look at the unemployment rate in Alberta, up 9%. Uh, but uh, we've had a, a underestimation of the impact of oil and the overall resource sector, and it's just translating into lower levels of economic growth against a global backdrop that's doing the same thing. It is, Mike, and now they're projecting a budget deficit of $3 billion in 2015 to 16. That's from a $2.4 billion surplus that was forecast in the April budget. And, Mike, that's cutting GDP growth. I mean, it's so significant. The GDP growth was forecast at 2% this year. It's now been brought down to 1.2%. And I just want to make a point here, Mike. This is not a political statement. We are talking about neutral economists, economists brought on by the government to forecast GDP growth, to forecast interest rates, to forecast What's going to be happening in Canada? And it's these independent economists that are saying, whoops, this thing has really turned around. And what it does, and I think very important here, it puts the new government behind the eight ball because they said they were going to spend some $10 billion or $15 billion or whatever that number turns out to be on infrastructure and have a deficit until 2019 when they will balance the budget. But all of a sudden, the whole structure has changed and what you just said, what? Can we be surprised by this? Well, let me just, we, we don't have time to get into the depth of this. Obviously, it's a big subject, but I'll give you two things. Uh, number one is that uh, be careful. We should, I'm just warning everybody listening, be careful of the headlines on this one. The Liberals are making some choices in the expenditure side here, especially about public sector pensions. That's over half of the increase uh, that you're seeing in the deficit. So they're making a political choice. Secondly, everything is subject to what the actual uh, forecast uh, or ex- uh, the reality is when we get to the economic numbers. I also think that the Liberal Party is is setting up uh, that either they hit or miss, and it doesn't matter which one at this point. So, yeah, the numbers, again, are completely subject to what you forecast going out, and then we'll see what the reality is. And secondly, they've made an expenditure choice on how to account for pensions that make a big difference in this uh, expenditure number, which has pushed up this coming year's uh, deficit. So lots to that story. Mike, let's go up to number one. Number Paris 1A, well, number 1B, I guess. Yeah, 1B. Paris attacks spark concerns in tourism sector. They're canceling their trips, and the emails were just flying last Monday as tourists cancel their trips to Paris, France, but particularly Paris, Paris being the number two tourist city in the world next to New York, 
particularly in the Christmas season. Yeah, and, uh, you know, we've got obviously the news out of Belgium today on high alert, lockdown in the cities. I mean, you know, this is hardly helpful. And I always think the economic impact on Europe as a whole is going to be contingent on are there further attacks at this point? I mean, what comes next, I think, is clearly an important aspect. But, yeah, uh, but it's interesting to see. My Well, let's go to your number one story. Well, number one story is what was the impact on global investments Certainly for some of the French higher-end companies like Hermes mm-hmm. International or Louis Vuitton, Moet, Hennessy, SA, the Accor hotel uh, chain, high-end hotel, hotel chain in France, they all got hit, Mike. But that brings the question of with the severity of the attack and the global chill that it sent out, what was the impact on the global investment environment and, Mike, I can come back to you and say very little, if none. Yeah, I, I was saying earlier that I think that all the major trends just simply reasserted themselves. Strong stock market, weak gold, weak Canadian dollar, strong U.S. dollar, all of the stuff we've been talking about for the last few years just seemed to overwhelm. Now, we had a weekend, so people could kind of catch their breath, and panic was sort of dissipated in that way. But, uh, you know, all the major trends looked like they reasserted themselves. Well, they did, Mike. Uh, gold continued down. Oil continued down. U.S. dollar continued stronger. Stock markets actually got a pretty good bump this week. But to mm-hmm. me, I think the one line that I read is the European stock market started down last Monday. And for good reason. There was a real fear that yeah. made its way through Western Europe. But the stocks Europe 600 on the day Monday, Mike, gained three-tenths of 1%. So, you know, my question would be, and I think every investor's got to think about this, what kind of an event would cause markets to react? Because it certainly wasn't what happened in France last weekend. I think it's what we've been talking about in this show for years, which is what are they trading? As you've said, Victor Dare said, you know, they're trading central bank action. The EU made it very clear that they're prepared to take more action, and that was enough for the market, even in Europe. So, yeah, it's been an interesting time. Well, Mike, I, I, I've got to say, I really did scratch my head. And being a gold guy for so many years, I thought to myself, sort of Tuesday or Wednesday, what would it take for gold to react positively when people go to gold as a store of value because of fear of what's going on around them in the world. Well, it certainly wasn't a major terrorist attack, probably the worst terrorist attack since 9-11. It didn't budge the gold market. Uh, yeah, and, and by the way, there's so many other terrorist attacks in Beirut, the Russian uh, bomber. We have Ma- uh, Mali yesterday. Uh, the list goes on. I think it'll take a top in the U.S. dollar to bring gold back up. Mike, we'll talk more about it coming up next week. Thanks, Mike. Michael Levy. Take a break. Coming back, the big fat idea. This is one you have not heard. Uh, I think it's just fascinating. I'm going to be talking uh, with Mark Stevenson, president of Cube Business Media, when we come back right here on the Course Radio Network. Time now for Mike's big fat idea of the week. Mark Stevenson joins me, president of Cube uh, Business Media. And by the way, uh, we've got a couple of tickets, a pairs of tickets to give away to the Business Transition Forum. All you have to do is go to moneytalks.net to enter the draw. What's that all about? Well, this answers the question. What's the big fat idea this week, Mark? What the heck is it? The, Michael, good morning. The big fat idea this week is, is the baby boomer generation. The, the number of baby boomers looking to exit 
their businesses over the next decade. So the, the opportunity is there for people to look at buying businesses. And this process has been a bit delayed because of uh, the global uh, financial crisis we had over the last number of years. This process of selling businesses from these baby boomers has been delayed. So now, over the next decade, they're suggesting that between one million, sorry, one trillion and four trillion dollars uh, of assets will transfer over the next ten years from these business owners. Yeah, what's interesting about that though is that we've got this environment where people are looking for yield, uh, obviously you know growth, but very quickly. I mean, this seems to me to provide a real opportunity, especially someone who's, let's say, they're getting a, well, it doesn't matter, young or old, actually, but you get a you know try and get involved in a, a successful small or medium-sized businesses could answer a couple of those questions: growth and yield. You know, absolutely. I mean, it's a, the timing is perfect. They're suggesting, a, as I said, I got a few quotes from Pricewaterhouse Coopers that. They're suggesting this market is absolutely massive, and between 2018 yeah. and 2025, it should be a great opportunity. Now, are you talking to? Is there? Are we talking that I go and buy a company, or can I be a part owner? How do you participate in this? Well, I mean, the interesting thing today is that there's so many different ways to uh, to do a deal. So you can go buy a business, you can go buy a job, you can go buy cash flow. The the great opportunity today is there's an abundant, a glut, if you will, of businesses that will be sold. Yeah, and as you say, with the aging population, et cetera. Because I'll tell you, this is of great interest to me. I look around all the time looking for these opportunities. I mean, it doesn't matter in the stock market, whatever. But I'm telling you, we're in a low interest rate environment. You know, you get 2% over a 10-year period. That's not going to be adequate. But we also have an awful lot of people who have reached company retirement age, but they don't want to fully retire. And I think this may offer an opportunity, especially uh, you may be transferring from one family to another where, you know, let's say in my age, group I want to buy it but maybe I want my kids involved so it, it's a very interesting deal well certainly in Western Canada Vancouver uh, proper there's so many family businesses that are looking to transition over the next mm-hmm. while some of them will be transitioning to family members so they will be looking to sell so there, again there's that opportunity to look at buying business there's three-quarters of the small business owners plan to exit over the next 10 years so in Western Canada Think about it. 75% of those business owners are now looking to retire. So the opportunities, the timing's there. Well, if you're out in Vancouver, I just want to let you know that on November 25th and 26th, they have the Business Transitions Forum. And we're giving away two pairs of tickets to this. Go to moneytalks.net to get the details. But uh, it's a very interesting thing, and I think people should put this on their radar screen. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time. Thank you, Michael. Have a good day. Good stuff. Just go to uh, the uh, businesstransitionsforum.com, businesstransitionsforum.com. I'll take a break. Coming back, i got Mark Leibovitt.